Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Medisodes. This week we're going to be talking about heart disease, the biggest killer in the world. So heart disease is a condition that narrows or blocks the blood vessels. It can compose of heart attacks, which are the coronary arteries getting blocked by clots, angina, which is chest pain caused by reduced blood flow to the heart muscles, and atherosclerosis, which is a buildup of fatty plaque within artery walls. There's also arrhythmia, which is when the heart beats irregularly, among many other conditions. The statistics behind cardiovascular disease are truly astonishing. The World Heart Federation estimates that 17.8 million people die every year from CVD. That's 31% of global deaths. Over 75% of these deaths coming from low and middle income countries. In the UK, 155,000 people die every year from cardiovascular disease, 27% of total deaths. And coronary heart disease, a type of cardiovascular disease, accounts for 69,000 deaths and is the single biggest killer of people in the UK. One person dies from cardiovascular disease every eight minutes. One in 10 women and one in seven men in the UK will die from coronary heart disease. The human cost of cardiovascular disease is very important. There's also the financial cost. 15 billion pounds are spent on cardiovascular disease in the UK every year. And this is a huge burden on the NHS. Luckily, the rate of death from cardiovascular disease is decreasing, but it's still much higher than even the second highest cause of death, which is cancer. Now we've established how much of a problem cardiovascular disease is, let's talk about the causes. Surya is going to be talking about whether cardiovascular disease is caused by genetics. Genes control many aspects of the cardiovascular system. The strength of the blood vessels and even the way in which cells in the heart communicate is controlled by genes. Mutations in the genes that control the aspects of the cardiovascular system can cause changes in the likelihood of developing the disease. For example, a mutation in a gene can affect the shape and function of a protein so that cholesterol is processed differently. This change in cholesterol processing could potentially lead to atherosclerosis and eventually a myocardial infarction, or in other words, a heart attack. There are approximately 13 different cardiovascular diseases that are associated with our genes. These include atherosclerosis, familial hypercholesterolemia, stroke, and venous thromboembolism. Each of these is either caused by a mutation to a specific gene, but some are caused by intergenic, intergenic changes which are changes to the non-coding regions of DNA. The most common cardiovascular disease associated with our genes is atrial fibrillation, which is characterized by irregular and often faster heartbeat. There is a genetic cause for atrial fibrillation, which includes rare genetic mutations to ion channel genes, altering the channels and affecting the flow of ions, and this can affect the heartbeat by changing the cardiac conduction system. This atrial fibrillation is a type of arrhythmia. 
Another interesting cardiovascular problem that is associated with our genes is Brugada's syndrome. And this is caused by a faulty gene that is inherited by a child from a parent. Again, these faulty genes alter channel ion proteins and this alters the heart's regular electrical activity, sometimes causing an arrhythmia that causes the heart to be extremely fast. Brugada's syndrome can be a life-threatening condition and can lead to cardiac arrest. Some people with inherited heart conditions experience, experience symptoms such as dizzy spells, palpitations, blackouts and shortness of breath. You should be tested for an inherited cardiac condition if a member of your family has an inherited heart condition or if there's a history of cardiac arrest or premature deaths in your family or if a death in a family is hard to explain or thought to be caused by a faulty gene or if you've been diagnosed with angina or had a heart attack at a young age, in which case your doctor may suspect that you have familial hypercholesterolemia. If a member of your family has been diagnosed with an inherited heart condition, it is advised by doctors to take an ECG to check the electrical activity of the heart, and this can help to detect if an individual is at risk of developing arrhythmia or coronary heart disease. The, the doctor might also advise the family member to take an echocardiogram to detect possible atherosclerosis, clots and other problems with the aorta. I think the key takeaway from this should be that genetics does play a huge role in developing certain health conditions related to the heart. Therefore, it is essential to go and see the doctor if there is a family history of heart problems. However, genetic factors are not the only thing that contributes to the risk of developing cardiovascular disease. There are also lifestyle factors that affect the risk of developing CVD. And on that note, I'll be passing on to Anapan, who will be talking about this. In terms of lifestyle factors for heart disease, a lot of these factors are very strongly interlinked. And so it's very common to find that more than one of these factors are present in a person at the time of them being admitted for this condition. And the first one I'm going to be talking about is high cholesterol. Now, in terms of cholesterol, there are two main types, one that can be termed as good and the other one bad, to put it simply. Having too much of this bad cholesterol can cause a lot of problems with your health, especially in terms of heart disease. Cholesterol is carried in your blood by proteins, and when cholesterol and these proteins combine, they form lipoproteins. High-density lipoproteins, or HDL, is called good cholesterol. This is because it gets rid of bad cholesterol from your blood by taking it to the liver, allowing it to be broken down. Non-high-density lipoproteins are called bad cholesterol. This is because when there's too much of it, it builds up inside the walls of your blood vessels, clogging them up, narrowing arteries, and increasing the risk of heart attack or stroke. Bad cholesterol can be called LDL cholesterol sometimes, as this was used as the main measure of bad cholesterol. However, there are many types of non-HDL cholesterol that are also harmful. The way that this bad cholesterol damages your body is by breaking the lining of arteries. And by infiltrating the lining of arteries, it causes an inflammatory reaction. Because of this inflammatory reaction, the artery wall swells, which narrows the width of the overall artery. This narrowing leads to higher blood pressure. And if bits of this narrowing break off, they can even cause strokes further along the circulatory system. This can lead to a lot of problems such as angina or stroke. 
cholesterol and triglyceride amounts are measured in units called millimoles per liter of blood, which are usually shortened to mmol per L. Generally speaking, for a healthy heart, the aim is to have a low non-HDL level and a very high HDL level. Testing is usually done by a simple blood test at a GP or a hospital. Now, I mentioned that the narrowing of arteries can lead to high blood pressure. High blood pressure medically is known as hypertension, and it means that the heart is working a lot harder to pump blood around the body. This is a very serious condition because it can lead to heart attack and stroke and also lead to problems in other organs, such as kidney failure, problems with sight and vascular dementia. Although arteries are stretchy to cope with blood pressure going up and down during the normal course of the day, if you have high blood pressure, the arteries lose their elasticity and become very stiff and narrow. This narrowing further makes it easier for fatty material to build up and also leads to the increase of blood pressure, which leads to a cascading effect. Blood pressure is measured by the reading of two numbers. The first is when the blood pressure is at its highest or systolic pressure, and the second is when it's at lowest or diastolic pressure, and will usually be written as two numbers over each other, for example, 140 over 90. Systolic pressure is the highest level of your blood pressure, where the heart is contracting to pump blood, whereas diastolic pressure is when the heart relaxes between beats. If the arteries that are carrying your blood get damaged and clogged by this change in blood pressure, it can lead to heart attacks. And when it happens in the arteries that carry blood to your brain, it can lead to stroke. Smoking and drinking is another way that can lead to the damage of arteries. They're a very significant risk factor for CVD, to the point where in the UK, nearly 20,000 deaths a year are attributed to smoking and heart disease. The chemicals in smoking particularly are very dangerous. Carbon monoxide, for example, is a poisonous gas that prevents your blood cells from carrying oxygen around your body. Having high levels of carbon monoxide in the blood greatly increases the risk of heart and circulatory diseases. Tar is also found in cigarette smoke and can cause cancer. When it's breathed in, 70% of the tar stays in your lungs and damages them. Cigarettes that are labelled light, mild or low tar are actually all misleading because all of them still contain way too much tar for your body to cope with. And finally, nicotine, the addictive chemical found in cigarettes and most other e-cigarette products, increases your heart rate and blood pressure. And again, as I've mentioned before, untreated high blood pressure can permanently damage your arteries and hearts. As you can see now, a lot of these different risk factors lead to the same set of circumstances that causes the heart diseases that we've been talking about. And the final risk factor I'm gonna be talking about is obesity, a problem we tackled in an earlier episode, if you want to go check that out. Obesity is because we have different types of fat in the body. Most people worry about the fat they can feel on the underside of their skin, called subcutaneous fat. But when it comes to heart disease, it's visceral fat, or the fat that surrounds our internal organs, that is the bigger health risk. Visceral fat buildup can raise your blood cholesterol, increase your blood pressure, increase your risk of developing diabetes, and all of these are very closely linked with heart disease. And carrying the weight around your middle can make it harder for your body to use insulin, which controls your blood glucose levels, which can lead to type two diabetes. Overall, all these things interlink with each other to create a cascade of effects that can lead to very, very severe diseases. And it's why heart disease is the number one problem around the world for medicine. So I've talked a lot about the problems that cause heart disease, but how do you treat them? And for that, I'm going to pass on to Adrian. 
Now that we've discussed the magnitude of the problem that heart disease poses to modern healthcare and possible genetic and lifestyle factors that increase the risk of heart disease development, let's discuss ways that one can reduce their risk of developing heart disease. There are factors that one can control and factors that cannot be changed. In general, genetic factors cannot be changed, whereas lifestyle factors can be targeted to reduce the risk of heart disease development. Controlling blood pressure has been an effective way of reducing the risk of heart disease. As mentioned before, high blood pressure increases the risk of damage to artery walls, thus increasing the risk of atherosclerosis. One way to reduce blood pressure is to limit sodium in the diet. The main source of sodium in the diet is salt, so avoiding salty foods will help to reduce blood pressure. When there is a high amount of salt and so sodium in the diet, the body will hold on to more water in an effort to try and dilute the salt contents of the blood. This excess water retention increases the volume of the blood, meaning that there's a greater volume of liquid in the same limited space of the blood vessels, and hence increasing the blood pressure. Reducing salt intake in the diet means that there is less a need for the body to hold on to water, which then lowers the blood pressure and risk of atherosclerosis. Another way of reducing blood pressure to reduce the risk of heart disease is to reduce stress. Taking a calmer, slower, more measured approach to life means that a person produces less adrenaline, a hormone that is linked to stress. Adrenaline makes the heart beat faster, thus increasing blood pressure to help a person cope with a stressful situation. Being stressed for long periods of time can lead to a long-term increase in blood pressure that makes one more susceptible to heart disease. For more information about stress, its causes, roots in genetics, and ways to alleviate stress, be sure to check out Medicine's episode 12, where we discuss all of these factors in detail. Linked to stress, poor sleep can also increase blood pressure, so it's important to get enough sleep. Stress and sleep quality are linked. People with high amounts of stress generally have less sleep. However, the good thing is that sleeping for long periods to catch up on sleep debt can help to alleviate stress. One way to do this is to go to bed when tired and allowing your body to wake you up when ready, making sure to turn off all your alarms. As mentioned before, obesity also plays a significant role in increasing the risk of heart disease development. Rather than a direct link, obesity is linked to several other heart disease risk factors, such as diabetes and the aforementioned high blood pressure. Hence, maintaining a healthy weight is crucial for controlling heart disease. Eating a balanced diet with neither too much nor too few calories, as well as making sure that the diet consists of appropriate amounts of the five key food groups, is essential in maintaining a healthy weight. Alongside this, frequent exercising of all types helps to reduce the risk of obesity, strengthens the heart and circulatory system, and lowers the blood pressure. Furthermore, exercise has been shown to release dopamine and serotonin, which are both hormones linked to human happiness and well-being. And so exercise is also key in reducing lifestyle stress, which is also another way of decreasing the risk of heart disease. Fortunately, obesity remains a largely reversible condition. And so people who already suffer from obesity have the opportunity to reduce their weight and reduce the risk of heart disease. Stopping smoking is the single most effective measure that one can take to reduce the risk of heart disease. It's the largest chemical reason for heart disease and smoking related heart diseases cost the NHS millions of pounds. 
The benefit of quitting smoking comes sooner than one might expect. 20 minutes after you quit smoking, your heart rate and blood pressure return to normal. After two to three days, your sense of taste and smell improve. After two to 12 weeks, exercise becomes easier and breathing improves. After a year, your risk of having a heart attack is half of that of a smoker. These statistics alone describe the magnitude by which smoking increases the risk of heart disease. And so quitting smoking, if indeed you are a smoker, will be crucial in reducing the risk of developing heart disease. I've talked about several ways in which one can reduce the risk of developing heart disease, all of which are linked to lifestyle changes. But what happens if one is hospitalised due to severe heart disease? Heart disease is managed by a combination of carefully controlled lifestyle changes, medicines and possible surgery. Many of the lifestyle changes that a person has to make are similar to those that I've just described as helping to reduce the risk of heart disease development. But there's a greater urgency for a person to adopt these lifestyle changes as there is more at stake. Instead of being a recommendation to stop smoking, a GP may enrol a patient to, to stop smoking NHS services, which make it much easier to stop smoking. These services are crucial for those who need to stop smoking urgently as they make the process easier and faster. Increasing the rate at which people can drop smoking is important, especially for patients who are at critical levels of heart disease, because the sooner they stop smoking, the greater their chance of not having another episode of heart attack, or indeed, whatever form of heart disease they have. Several different types of medicines are used to treat heart disease, and doctors may prescribe one or a combination of different medicines based on the individual's case and symptoms. Now I'll be discussing the different types of medicines used to treat heart disease and how they work. Firstly, I'll go through blood thinning medicines. Contrary to the name, they don't actually thin the blood, but instead prevent the formation of blood clots. Two main types of blood thinning medicines exist, anticoagulants and antiplatelet drugs. There are several different anticoagulants, but they all function in a similar way. Anticoagulants inhibit fibrin production. Fibrin is a fibrous protein produced from the conversion of fibrinogen, catalyzed by the enzyme thrombin. Fibrin plays a role in forming a hemostatic plug or blood clot, and so inhibiting it is a way of preventing blood clots. One type of heart disease that anticoagulants are used to treat is an irregular heartbeat, known formally as atrial fibrillation. Fibrin plays a role in forming a hemostatic plug or blood clot, and so inhibiting it is a way of preventing blood clots. One type of heart disease that anticoagulants are used to treat is an irregular heartbeat, known formally as atrial fibrillation. The rapid arrhythmic heartbeat can cause blood to pool in the atria, increasing the risk of blood clots. Warfarin, famous for its historical use as rat poison, is the standard drug to prescribe in this case, but it is now being replaced by more targeted drugs. Antiplatelet medications work just as the name suggests, by inhibiting the role of platelets in blood clots. Antiplatelet drugs are used as a prevention measure for heart attacks and strokes in people who are deemed as high risk. They are also used to treat people who receive stents, a form of surgical treatment that we will discuss later, as platelets tend to stick to stents and cause them to close up. Typically, people are prescribed antiplatelet drugs for at least six months after stent treatment. The next major category of medication that is prescribed to treat heart disease is statins. 
Statins work by lowering blood cholesterol levels. As discussed before, high blood cholesterol is a major risk factor for heart disease, and so prescribing statins is an effective way of making sure a patient does not have a repeated episode of heart disease. Statins work by blocking the formation of cholesterol and increasing the number of low-density cholesterol receptors in the liver. This helps to reduce the amount of LDL cholesterol in the blood, which reduces the risk of a heart attack. Not all statins work for all people, so a doctor may try different statins on a patient until they find the most effective one. Beta blockers are yet another category of heart disease treatment medication. They work by blocking the stress hormones adrenaline and noradrenaline in certain parts of the body, and so reducing the heart rate and blood pressure. Beta blockers can also be used for the prevention of heart disease and are used in patients that are deemed as having a significantly high risk of heart disease. Of course, several other medication types are used in the treatment of heart disease, but these are the most commonly used types. As I've mentioned before, medication is just one of the factors that play a role in the treatment of heart diseases. In severe cases, procedures and surgeries may be necessary to provide the patient with the best possible chance of survival and recovery. There are several different types of surgery used to treat heart disease, and I'll go through some types now. Coronary angioplasty may be a planned procedure for someone suffering from angina, chest pain, or an urgent procedure for someone if the symptoms become unstable. During the procedure, a small balloon is inserted to push the fatty tissue in the narrowed artery outwards. This increases the width of the artery lumen, the hole passing through the centre of the blood vessel, and so reduces the blood pressure which reduces the risk of further damage to the blood vessel wall later on. A person may also have a stent inserted, which is a plastic or metal tube that is inserted into an artery to keep it open and to increase the lumen size. Balloon angioplasty may be used in conjunction with a stent. Another procedure that is used to treat heart disease is coronary artery bypass graft. In this procedure, a blood vessel is grafted between the aorta as it leaves the heart and a part of the coronary artery beyond the narrowed or blocked area. This allows for a greater blood supply to the heart muscle and makes up for the lack of blood supply caused up by a buildup of fatty material in the coronary arteries. Sometimes, an artery supplying the chest wall with blood is used and diverted to one of the heart arteries, which also allows for blood supply to the heart to bypass the blocked sections of the original coronary artery. Occasionally, when the heart has been severely damaged and medications are not effective, a heart transplant may be needed. In principle, this is one of the simplest procedures, but in practice, a heart transplant is incredibly complex with many areas where the procedure might not go as intended. This procedure involves replacing a damaged heart with a healthy donor heart, or in some cases, an artificial mechanical heart. These are just a few of the several procedures that exist for the treatment of heart disease, and these are the most commonly used. Indeed, though I have mentioned this before, I shall reiterate. Procedure alone will not treat heart disease effectively, nor will medication alone and nor will lifestyle factors alone. A successful treatment plan will incorporate all three factors in ways that are personalised for the patient to provide them with the best quality of care and the fastest possible pathway for recovery. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion about heart disease this week. Although there are ways to fix it, we need to be leading healthy lifestyles in order to reduce our risks. 
Thank you for listening. Remember to like, subscribe and comment down below if you found this interesting and we'll be back next week for another episode.